From the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, this is Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. Injured in Georgia? Make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. Injury Insider is presented by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs. Hello and welcome to Injury Insider with Derek Hayes on Business Radio X. We are broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio in the Senesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. This show will answer legal questions and debunk personal injury myths with insight and expertise. For nearly 25 years, Derek Hayes has represented injured parties in Georgia. Now he'd like to put that knowledge to work for you. I'm your host, Lita Brooks, and it's my pleasure to introduce the star of the show, Derek Hayes. Good afternoon, Derek. Good afternoon. Great to be here as always. Well, thanks. Hey, before we begin, a quick reminder that Injury Insider is brought to you by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs, and by the law office of Derek M. Hayes. Injured in Georgia, make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. All right, let's jump right in. At the end of the last show, you offered a glimpse ahead to today's show, and you gave us, right? A teaser. A teaser. That's the word I'm looking <laughs> for. It. You gave us a teaser that we are going to be talking about slip and fall claims. Now, Correct. this is really interesting, right? We've got some great stories. We're going to learn a lot as we do on every single one of your shows. I know that many people have different opinions about these kind of claims and how they work. Hopefully, you can clarify this area of the law for all of us so that we can better understand how it works. So, I... Do I remember you saying, or did you say it to me privately, that this is going to be a two-part series? I'm thinking that, well, for sure it's going to be two, and it could very well spill into three, three-part oh, series. Oh, okay. There's just so much. There's so many misconceptions, so many misunderstandings, and uh, really, people don't know the law. And that's why, again, today is, is full of information, but definitely a second show and potentially a third one. Great. Well, I look forward to getting started. I always come out of every one of your shows with a very extensive knowledge i feel like i could take the state bar pretty soon right? i think so yeah okay <laughs> i think you could yeah all right i know you like to start with the basics so let's do that now what is the basic law in georgia regarding slip and fall claims all right well i'm going to focus of course on georgia because that's where we are and every state has its own statute regarding this these kinds of cases but georgia specific slip and fall cases are also many times referred to as premises liability claims that means that an injury occurred while on somebody else's property, either property they own or maybe property they rent, and it can be a private home, it could be a business, um, anything like that. But the specific statute is 5131, and it says, and I'm going to read, this is always the, the verbatim part, where an owner or occupier of land by express or implied inv invitation induces or leads others to come upon his premises for any lawful purpose, he is liable in damages to such person for injuries caused by his failure to exercise ordinary care and keeping the premises and approaches safe. So that's that legal mumbo jumbo that we have to now interpret. It's very long with a lot of commas. Yes, it is. Right? Yes, a lot of phrases and separated uh, statements. Yes, yes, All exactly. right, so what you're here to do, and you're going to 
do this for us right now, you're going to break this down, right? Give us the basic points of this. Since we are starting with the basics, we're starting with the statute, I am going to break it down into individual segments. So starting with the owner or occupier of land. So an owner could be someone who owns their own home or owns a building where they run their own business. That's very simple. Occupier of land really references someone who rents a home, rents an apartment, a condo, or rents a space where they have their business. Then the next part, by expressed or implied invitation. Let's talk about expressed or implied. Expressed typically means written, something that's on on paper, in writing. Implied is it's not written, but it's understood that they have permission to be there. So an expressed or implied invitation. So anyone other than a thief or a trespasser who comes onto your property without your expressed or implied permission is covered by this specific statute. We're going to separate a thief or a burglar, that kind of person, or a trespasser. We'll talk about that more in a different section later. Uh, Next, induces or leads others to come upon his premises for any lawful purpose. That very simply means if you allow them to come on your premises. Okay. Okay. They could have summarized that a lot easier, a lot less words, but that's what it means. Then it says he is liable in damages to such person for injuries caused by his failure to exercise ordinary care in keeping the premises and approaches safe. All right, let's define ordinary care. Ordinary care means the reasonable standard of ordinary, an ordinary prudent person, like sweeping, mopping, moving debris, those kinds of things, an ordinary person, what they would do. Premises. Premises is defined as the property itself in all areas, including, say, a parking lot that's adjacent to a building, uh, a swimming pool. You know, if you have a home and the swimming pool is on your property, well, that's part of the premises. A deck on the back of a house or around a pool, stairs coming down off the deck inside the house. If you have a lot of land and you have a pond on that, that property, well, all that's considered part of the premises. There are many other things that would fall into that category, but those are just a, a few. Okay, so, so after premise, it says approaches. Give right. us the definition of approaches. Yeah, and that's, that's one of those vague terms that a lot of people do, don't really understand. So I, again, kind, kind of took the statutory definition of approaches. Approaches are defined as property directly contiguous adjacent to and touching those entryways to the property of the owner, through which the owner could foresee a reasonable invitee would find it necessary or convenient to traverse while entering or exiting in the course of the business for which the invitation was extended. Okay, again. Layman's terms, please. Legal mumbo jumbo. But you park in a parking lot. It's the sidewalk to get into the building. Okay. If you've got some tree stumps that have now raised the sidewalk and they're areas that are difficult to walk across or walk through because you have different levels of sidewalk, cracked, broken, holes in the sidewalk or a sinkhole, whatever it may be. All of those are part of the approaches leading into your business. So anything that's directly entering your business. Now, for example, if the parking deck is across the street, that's not considered to be under the definition of approaches because you park in the parking deck and and you're far enough away that that's not directly entering into your business or your condo, your apartment complex, whatever it may be. So the owner is only responsible for the area within which the last few steps are taken to enter the premises, not the across the street, not down the sidewalk, you know, a couple of blocks away, there's a parking deck or a parking lot. You park there, then you walk. Same thing with a mall, for example. You're, um, say, one of the, the anchor stores in a mall, and you've parked at the other end of the, the mall, and you walk through, and then you walk out into the parking lot for whatever reason, and you fall there. Well, that's not part of the approaches because that's not where you came in. So it's not considered 
necessarily. It's the, not those last few steps okay. to come into the premises. Okay. So it's not maybe even the store, right? It's even though it's That's all different. the same property, it's all considered the mall. It's very specific to where you were. Correct. Okay. Correct. Inside. Right. So if you fall in Macy's, for example, well then another anchor store, any other store in that, that mall is not responsible for what happened to you while sure. you were in Macy's. Right. Okay. All right. Thanks for breaking it down. No, that's okay. It sounds very complicated, but when you when you get into it, it's really not. And it's trying to simplify a lot of legal mumbo jumbo. That's it. You mentioned someone's home as a potential location for a slip and fall claim. Tell me more about that part. That's tough. And, and it really is because generally if you're at somebody's home, it's a friend. It's a neighbor. It's a family member. It's someone from church. Someone from your kid's sports team. You're there for a party. You're there to visit them. So I realize it's kind of awkward to pursue a claim against a friend if you're hurt at their house, but there are many situations where, quite frankly, you should. Um, as an example, a deck. Say, for example, oh, you're on yeah. the back of a, a home and the deck is, is um, you know, it's, it's got rotten wood that's connected to the home or the uh, trusses or the, the uh, foundation of the deck is, is now falling apart and you're on the back deck with several other people say for a barbecue and all of a sudden the deck falls off the back of the house and you fall to the ground and you break several bones. Well, yeah, guess what? You should pursue a claim. You're going to have a lot of medical bills. You're going to have a lot of pain and suffering. You're likely going to miss time from work. So that's an example. And actually I've handled a case before where somebody did um, get injured from a deck that, that came apart from a, it's actually an apartment complex. So in that case, we went after the owner of the apartment building. The renter had notified them of the, the problems, but nonetheless, that's an example of, of where you could go after someone in their home for getting injured while on a deck that, that falls. Another is an electrical shock and an injury at a pool or a hot tub. I had one of those cases. Somebody was going oh, to their friend's house for a, a swim, swimming party, a pool party, and there were some exposed wires that had come up in the, uh, um, the decking around the pool. And it also, you know, water trickled to that area, and it was a kid. A kid <gasps> stepped in that water and, and was electrocuted, not to death. Okay, thankfully. I was going to say, are you allowed to tell right, us? Right, right. They didn't die, okay. but they had some pretty bad Aww. burn injuries and, uh, you know, the, the consequences of being shocked. I mean, those are very powerful injuries. They're, they're bad. Um, another would be a broken step going up into uh, a deck or to inside the house. A step that's broken, a handrail that's broken, those kind of things. Now, those are examples of actual premises liability cases that I've handled, but there are all kinds of other things that could happen. Um, and, and ultimately, the homeowner's insurance policy is what covers that. So when you purchase a home and you buy your homeowner's insurance coverage, that's part of what that coverage is there to do, is to take care of anyone who is injured in your home, or if you're injured at someone else's home, that's what it's there to take care of. Now, I want to also point out one other confusion thing about this, and that is people many times think, well, that's my friend. I don't want to go against them. I don't want to file suit against them. I don't want them to have to pay for what happened to me. Well, in reality, you're not going against them. We've talked about this in prior shows. You're going against their insurance coverage. Every single time they write that check for their homeowner's insurance, they've paid premiums for the insurance company to do exactly what they should do for you in a situation where you've been hurt. So it's not a claim against them personally. It's not a lawsuit against them personally. It's against their insurance policy to take care of what's happened to you. I have a question. Sure. You may cringe for me bringing this up. Uh-oh. You had a fall. Yes, I did. You fell down the stairs. Yes, I did. At my house. <laughs> yes, I okay? did. Okay, those of you listening, if you followed all the shows, you know that Derek and I are a couple. We do not live together. We're in process of that. Derek fell... At my house. Nine or ten steps, I think it was. Broke three ribs, 
collapsed along, pneumonia set in, blood pressure went crazy. It was Two very scary. Stays. Two yep. hospital stays in the trauma center. Okay, so that, where does that fall? Should we have used my homeowner's insurance? Was I liable because you fell down the stairs? Well, there's a difference between. I didn't push you. Well, that's debatable. <laughs> if you did, you really ran away quickly because yeah. you were in another room. <laughs> no, it was tragic now, okay you talk about yourself because you had a fall in right, someone else's right. residence i would have to show negligence i would have to show that there was some sort of negligent act on your part that led to me falling down the steps the cat laying across the stair that you potentially tripped on no that that that's not a hazard that's there present all the time correct and granted your, your cats are there all the time but ultimately if you had say for example a leak in your roof and water was dripping onto your stairs and you knew or should have known that there was water continuously falling on your steps, you have a duty to warn, a duty to clean, or at least uh, make it so that it's not something that someone on your property, an invitee, would not know about, and therefore slip and fall, and, and you know, wind up with the kind of injuries I did in the two hospital stays. So I have to be able to show some level of negligence on your part. If I could show that the stairs were designed improperly, or if there was too much of a... Uh, pitch i believe that's what you call it pitch to the stairs that led to them being more dangerous than they should have been rise or if i was rise or if there was a handrail that was broken mm -hmm. and i used the handrail and i fell because the handrail broke there's some level of negligence on your part that would bring okay. that in okay i've just made me think of it right that's we're okay. talking about right. slip and fall claims in somebody's house that's what i in you know immediately went to how about a business I own a retail store. I have many people, hundreds each week coming out of my store. What do you look for in claims occurring in a business? Right. Well, in, in order for a business to be held liable in a slip and fall case, or again, we call them premises case, uh, there are a couple of basic elements that must be proven. And we have to think of what we can prove to be able to know if there's a claim there. Number one, the injured party must prove that the business owner or agent knew or should have known of the hazard, kind of what I talked about a minute ago. It's called actual or implied knowledge. Actual knowledge is they see it, they know it's there, they're aware of it, or a customer says, hey, by the way, you've got some water spilled on an aisle over there. That's giving them actual knowledge. The should have known element comes from what we call a reasonable inspection. It's understood that uh, an owner of a business should make a reasonable inspection frequently of their property mm -hmm. to make sure there aren't any hazards. A leaking toilet in the bathrooms, a leaking sink, uh, an area where water's been spilled, or a display that's been knocked over creating a, a trip hazard, those kind of things. So number one, you have to show that the um, the business owner either knew or should have known. An example, like I said, would be uh, the water leaking. But I want to talk about a specific case before I go to the next part. Um, about a misting machine in the grocery store. Okay, I love the examples. Yeah, misting machines are really cool. They really are. I can't yeah. remember exactly when they came out. Uh, and you don't see them as much anymore, and, and I'm sure there were other cases besides just the one I had, but misting machines were typically in the produce section. As you walk down the aisle, uh, they would make a kind of a thunder sound, and some of them even had light, light Right, effects. that was to let you know they were coming on. Right, right, exactly. And it was kind of cool because, oh, there's a thunderstorm, and the light would, would flicker, and then the misting spray was aimed towards the produce to spray and to water them, and obviously it draws attention to that area, and, and kids loved it. So it's kind of a cool effect. So my client was at a grocery store, and as you know, grocery carts are designed to be pushed, not pulled. Right. So you push the grocery cart in front of you, and you can typically see through a grocery cart because they're not solid. 
But if you put items in there, you can't see through the bottom because you've got a cereal box and potato chips, whatever else you may have, or healthy food like you, you've got all kinds of uh, produce and things of that nature. But nonetheless, you've got things that prevent you from being able to see through the bottom of the uh, grocery cart. So my client was walking down the aisle with a misting machine was going off and, and it cuts off usually as somebody gets close and it did it cut off. And as she's looking at the produce um, right around the area where she was standing was an area underneath the cabinet where the misting machine, the pipe was starting to leak. And it had leaked to the point where water was coming out from underneath the cabinet and onto the floor where she was walking. But because of the grocery cart and the fact she had items in the cart, she could not see that water. And so as she continued to move forward, she stepped in that water, lost her balance. She slipped. She fell. She fractured an ankle with multiple surgeries. That's a severe injury. Pins, rods, screws, that kind of thing. So ultimately, the claim was against the grocery store. And in doing the research, and thankfully she had people that were there with her, they looked and saw exactly where the water was coming from that was on the floor. It wasn't something that had been spilled by somebody else, and it wasn't the mist spraying the wrong direction. It was the piping that was feeding the water into the misting machine. So they took a picture of the area. They took a picture also, too, underneath the cabinet, and you could see where someone had attempted to fix that pipe in the past by using duct tape. Okay. Now, we all think duct tape can fix everything, and there's a lot of truth to that, but there's also... A myth to that it doesn't fix everything so whoever tried to just kind of rig it with a duct tape didn't realize maybe that once the water penetrated that it was going to continue to leak and it did and so it was a valid claim against the store because it showed number one it showed knowledge actual knowledge because they had tried to fix it but even if there wasn't the actual knowledge with the evidence of the duct tape there was enough there that we could show imputed knowledge. They should have known because a reasonable inspection would have shown, oh, wait, there's water leaking on the floor here. So that was a valid claim based on the fact that they were able to prove very clearly that the business owner knew or should have known of the problem. Um, You know, the second part, the second prong to the test is they failed to repair the hazard that caused the victim's injury. And I'll go back to what I said. Duct tape, Duct tape is right. not a repair. Sure. A plumber a coming out and repairing mm-hmm. the pipe, replacing the pipe, doing whatever needs to be done, a valve, a gasket, whatever that is, that is a repair. So they have to show that they knew or should have known. They have to show that they failed to re- to repair the hazard that was there. So basically they did nothing about it mm-hmm. once they knew about it. Um, you also have to, to be able to determine the connection that the injured party has to that specific premises. Are they an invitee, a licensee, or a trespasser? Okay, so I'm going to ask you to define each of those terms. Some of them are very common knowledge, but I know that there's going to be technical terms for all of this. That's it. Those are common terms, but the law doesn't ever really use the common definition of terms. So, So, yeah, jump in. Exactly. Right? You dig in there, and and let's start with invitee. That's the first one that you said. Right. It's defining what their connection is to that place. So an invitee uh, is someone that is induced by expressed or implied invitation onto an owner or occupier's property. So think about a customer in a store. That's an invitee. Uh, Someone who's employed to perform work at the property. Um, you know, I mentioned a plumber coming in and fixing the, the pipe. That would be an invitee on the premises. A sales rep who shows up at your business to sell, you know, whatever their item is or to try and, and get you to buy their items. That's an invitee on your premises. Um, most slip and fall claims are by invitees. They fall under that category, under that definition. The next one is a licensee. Licensee is someone who is neither a customer or an employed person. 
they don't stand in any contractual relationship with the owner or the occupier of the premises. And then thirdly, they're permitted with expressed or implied permission to be on the premises on, for their own interest. Okay, A social guest, someone who's come to that house for the pool party, those are licensees. Now, an invitee is there for business purpose, like, for example, a customer or someone fixing a broken pipe. That's a business purpose. A licensee is someone who's there not for a contractual or business purpose. They're not a customer. They're just a friend coming into your home, someone coming over to hang out. A door-to-door -door, door -door salesperson is somebody else who would be categorized as a licensee. I would have thought that would have been an invitee. Bingo. Of course. That's what I I'm saying. I just invited exactly you it. over to come swim. Mm -hmm. But no, that's where this gets way more technical. You've given them license to be on your property. Oh. Think huh. about it like okay. that. So again, that's the terminology. Uh, the law doesn't take that common sense or, or common, commonly accepted definition of most words, and that's a, a perfect example. But you still must establish that the property owner knew or should have known about the defect that caused the injury. So going back to the pool, um, you mm -hmm. know, the, a reasonable inspection would have shown there's exposed wiring where that water is trickling away that could lead to a shock hazard. So again, those are things that open the door to a claim being able to be pursued, a premises liability claim, a slip and, and fall. And claim. I get it, but there's always, well, we didn't know to have an inspection. We didn't that's know the there was anything wrong. Right. We, you know, there had never been an issue. And that's the defense. Yeah. And ultimately a jury will have to decide whether or not that defense will suffice to okay. defeat that claim. Okay, I'm not going to get into this in this show, but in one of the other parts, I'll talk about motions for summary judgment where a judge can actually make that decision. Is there, <laughs> I'm really getting off on a legal uh, issue here, but is there at least one scintilla of evidence to show that they knew or should have known to carry this question to a jury? And if there isn't, a judge can dismiss the case in a motion for summary judgment, and a jury will never know about it. Hmm. It'll never get that far. So, again, I'm jumping ahead. We'll talk about that later okay. in another podcast. But for now, again, you must establish knowledge, con constructive knowledge, actual knowledge. It's got to be there. And then the third was trespasser. Correct. Pretty common. Right. We a all know what that is. Trespasser would be a thief, a burglar. Now, in a prior show, we talked about the attractive nuisance doctrine. So I'm going to tie together that in, in context with this. A child. Bingo. There Attractive nuisance. I remember, right? right? They right. could go to a trampoline. So or if you had this question a on a bar exam, you've just passed. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> exactly. So the attractive nuisance doctrine means that a trespasser, a kid, a child, sure. someone who is not mentally competent to understand the dangers inherent with a big piece of machinery on a construction site, um, if they are trespassing a kid and they get injured, well, then you can still be held liable for what's happened to them. But normally, if it's a burglar, someone breaking into your property, they get cut by a broken window or they fall down your broken stairs. Uh, -uh They're not protected. They don't have a claim because they don't they're not an invitee and they're not licensed to be there. OK, I know we are just scratching the surface, but right now, today, we only have time for one last point regarding slip and fall claims. All right. Give us one more piece of information to wrap up part one. Yeah, and that's why this has to be at least a two-part, if not a three-part show, because yeah. there's so much, and we've barely scratched the surface. But I think another thing to talk about, really, in the context of what we discussed are what we call static defects and foreign objects. Okay, jump the in. The law defines both of those. <laughs> All right. Start with static. So, a static defect. A static defect is any type of permanent or structural defect, such as stairs, ramps, uh, doorways, um, curbs, potholes, 
uneven or broken floors, sidewalks, walking. There are all kinds of things. Drain grates, manholes, those are all static defects. Without a defect, you don't have a case, period. All right. Safety code violations can make stairs that don't meet building codes a, a violation of a static defect. That's what that is. Okay. okay. And then the other, a foreign object. A foreign object can be spilled liquids, uh, food dropped on the floor, uh, a bunch of, uh, a bunched up um, or misplaced rug or floor mat, grease. If you go and, you know, when you go to get your old change, they have those signs. Uh, you're not allowed in the in the base because there's a lot of grease that's been spilled on the floor. Mm -hmm. They don't want people to walk in there and fall and therefore have a premises liability claim. So those are all foreign objects, things that have been basically spilled on a floor. Uh, if it's raining outside, though, and, and you walk into a grocery store or a department store somewhere, Walmart, whatever it may be, and you slip and fall and they've got mats out and it's raining, well, that's a difficult case to prove because you have the same level of knowledge that they do. You know that walking through water, the rain, water puddles, as you walk into the premises, your feet are going to be slick. The floor is going to be slick. You may walk over those mats. You don't wipe your feet off and you slip and fall. Well, that's going to potentially prevent you from having a claim because it's reasonable that you knew or should have known that the floor was going to be wet. Your knowledge is equal to theirs. So think, something to think about. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's all something to think about um, because I think the misconception is if you just slip, right? I, and I think that's where some of the myths, and this is what we're kind of debunking here, right? Oh, I came in and, you know, grocery stores, they have the, like the lobbies areas and mm -hmm. someone just falls down. Well, let me give you two, two different examples since you brought up grocery store, because um, I do want to make sure we talk a little bit more about the spills because that's very common. So in a grocery store, if a, say for example, a mom's pushing a grocery cart she's got a kid walking with her and the kid's got a sippy cup and the kid's drinking his juice or water whatever it may be and as mom is shopping and clearly looking at the items on the grocery shelves the kid uh, say for example drops the sippy cup or the lid comes off and the kid spills some juice or some water on the floor and mom doesn't know it mom doesn't stop and tell a clerk oh hey i'm sorry my kid spilled some water or juice on the floor you might want to clean that up nobody knows because it's just happened and then let's say you're 10 or 15 steps behind them and you're also shopping. And so you're looking like the, the mom was, you're looking at the groceries on the, the, the shelf, you're not looking at the floor. And you come upon the area where this kid has just a couple of minutes ago, if, if that, spilled that liquid on the floor and you slip and fall. Well, in that situation, that scenario, the grocery store will not be held liable for that. It's not their fault. Bingo. Right. They, they, there's no way to impute knowledge or show actual sure. knowledge unless, as I said, mom stops a clerk and says, hey, I'm sorry, my kid just spilled some juice over there. And the clerk's responsibility at that point is to go to stand there mm -hmm. and wait until somebody else comes along, somebody else that's an employee there. Hey, can you stand here? Let me go get the signs where it says wet floor. Put the signs up, then go get a mop, then come back and clean that. But if the clerk is told, hey, I'm sorry, my kid spilled some, some juice over there, and without going and standing there, the clerk walks away to go get the wet floor signs, and then you come upon it and you slip and fall after the clerk knew about it, then they can be held liable. So those are those little intricate it's very details. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And that's, it's very that's the intricate. point. As an attorney, we have to be able to ask those questions and identify what exactly is the level of liability based on what the le level of knowledge is. Sure. Okay. So other things to think about uh, was the hazard in plain view. Was it, say, for example, a white floor, a linoleum white floor, and it's a bright red Kool-Aid? Mm -hmm. Well, that's pretty visible. That red Kool-Aid is going to stand out 
in plain view on a white floor. But not water. But not water. Exactly. Um, you know, why didn't you see it? Were you distracted? Were you not looking where you were going? If you're not pushing a grocery cart and you're just walking in the aisle of a store or Walmart, wherever it may be, and it's open and obvious, it's there, it's red Kool-Aid, well, why didn't you see it? What, what was? Why weren't you looking where you were going? Um, was anything covering it up? Was it hidden? Like, for example, the, the counter in the grocery store with the produce area. Well, that counter extends out, so it was hiding the area where the water was leaking. Um, had you been looking for it, could you have seen it? That's the ordinary man standard. We'll talk more about that in detail later. Okay. Um, if, the far, if it's a foreign object or a static d- defect, was it easily noticeable to a reasonably careful person? The plain view doctrine. We'll talk more about that later as well. So those are all things that, again, come into play when we determine whether or not there is a valid um, slip and fall premises liability claim. Give us a teaser. All right. You did that at the last show. Uh, So what can we expect to cover in the next podcast? Part two, maybe the last part, maybe the second of the three parts. But part two, we're going to talk about a lot more things. We're going to talk about what to do if you think you have a slip and fall claim. Uh, We'll talk more about the plain view doctrine. I kind of referenced that a minute ago. We're going to talk about something called the prior traverse doctrine, which is a defense uh, that that a premises or that a uh, business owner or a homeowner can use the uh, the prior traverse doctrine reasonable man standard i touched on it but not in depth we'll talk a little more about invitees trespassers licensees and the differences between each one of those we're going to talk about actual knowledge more we're going to talk about constructive knowledge we're going to talk about common carriers and innkeepers there are different rules for innkeepers or ho- we say innkeepers because that's how the law defines them but think about hotels motels yeah. Uh, bed and breakfast, those kind of things. What's an They're, innkeeper? Well, that's that's someone, uh, a bed well, and breakfast. Well, bed and breakfast, right, right. I get that. But, but at a hotel? It, it's the old, see, most of our laws come from uh, old, older medieval times even, or British common law, those kinds of things. So some of the terminology um, is still used today. And so when you think innkeepers, yeah, you think about the old <laughs> medieval, not medieval, but old England, those kind of areas. But I think about someone who lives at the hotel. Right, right. And again, it's like that, from a movie. There's a different standard ultimately that applies, and that's kind of what I'm getting at okay. for the innkeeper, innkeeper rule. Uh, public sidewalks, there's a different standard that, that applies there because the sidewalk is generally not owned by the business owner. It's owned by the city, the county, the state, the municipality, and, and there are standards that apply there. There's something that uh, you have to deal with called an anti-leadum notice. You have to let them know about your potential claim. If you don't let them know within the requisite period of time, your claim can be done away with. You, you have no claim anymore. Um, so those are all things that, that we're going to cover in, in the upcoming shows. And as always, if you think you have a potential case, just call my office, email me, uh, use the chat feature, which is great on my website, 24 hours a day. You can chat with us. Uh, I'd be happy to discuss your potential claim with you and all the opportunities uh, that we can find to seek full compensation uh, for what may have happened to you. All right. Your website. Tell everyone listening, how can they find you? And let's note here, uh, they can submit for a potential case, but you also take submissions on questions yes. for this podcast. Yes. And we've had quite a few come in. That's been really fantastic to be able to answer the questions for everyone listening. So if you have a question, slip and fall case, any of the other topics that we've covered, or your question may produce an idea for a future show. Right. So, well, one of the reasons why I'm doing the slip and fall case, um, part of it, the premises liability case, this whole two or three part series is based on the questions I've had about them. A lot of people don't understand the law. 
uh, some of the things I've said today, the, the definitions even, it, it's a misconception as to what those words mean. So yes, you can always reach out to me. My website is Derek, D-E-R-E-K, the letter M is in Matthew, Hayes, H-A-Y-S, dot com. So Derek M. Hayes dot com. You can always go to my website from there. You can submit a question, as she said, the podcast tab. You can go in and, and whatever your question is, all I want to know is the question and your name, and that's it. Or you can contact me by the chat feature to talk about your potential case, or through my website, you can email me directly, and I will be the one to call you and discuss the facts and whether or not there's something I can help you with to pursue your claim. You can also go to my social media. I've got Facebook, the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes, uh, Instagram, the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes, and Twitter. So any of those applications, you can find me, you can research about my firm and me, and most importantly, you can reach out to me so we can discuss your potential case. 404-777-HURT. That's the next one. <laughs> exactly. So that phone number is the one that you're able to remember pretty easily. 404-777-HURT or 678-225-0970. Reach out to me. We'll be happy to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us on Injury Insider with Derek Hayes, presented by Status Home Design and the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes. Don't forget that you can enjoy any of our episodes anytime by visiting businessradiox.com, selecting the Gwinnett Studio, and then clicking on Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. This program is also available on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, for Derek Hayes, I'm Lita Brooks, and you've been listening to Injury Insider on Business Radio X.